This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We are going to start today with a little bit of devastating news, if I can be honest with everybody in the room. We checked registrations. Hmm. And they are at 165 for the upcoming conference. And let's let's just be clear that that kind of is un, unacceptable. So, what we need is we need you to go to ReformationBoise.com. You need to read up on the upcoming conference. You need to not only register yourself, but as you read through what is going to take place, the conference is God to us. Dr. Jonathan Gibson, Dr. Miles Van Pelt. That as you get excited about the upcoming conference, that you tell a friend and you invite them to come and hear the, the wonders and the, and the beauty of a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God and mm. what does that mean for just all of life. So, ReformationBoise.com, I am going to keep you updated. Next week will be our, our update and so we're excited to see how you will just storm the website and get those numbers where they ought to be. A little added incentive mm. I have on good report. I'm excited about this. That our producer is going to make a showing on Friday night of the conference. So to find that, I, I even have heard rumors that he might possibly be giving out autographs. So, if you want to meet the producer of the Gospel for Life Friday night, and um, we'll probably have some sort of booth and you know whatever <laughs> it set up for for that event, headphones so, and a boom mic. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> so excited, so excited for that. We have been talking about gospel fluency, and today we want to just go through what does it look like um, if we're trying to speak of the truth of the gospel. Let's rehearse that a little bit. And so we're going to use some questions to help us with that. The first is, who is Jesus? So we're not going to say everything there is to say, but what is essential to say in answer to that question, who is Jesus? We begin with him as the perfect man who lived the perfect life, fully submitted to God the Father in all things. And why does that truth matter? Because uh, there, he had to fulfill everything. He had to keep everything. You know, we're, we are by nature lawbreakers. He is the law keeper. And uh, yet he substituted that righteousness, that perfect life. He took on our imperfect life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So Vinny said that he was a perfect man. Does that mean that he was just a human being? Just another human being like everybody else? No, he was 100% God and 100% man. Actually, I'm going to correct myself. He is 100% God and 100% man. Uh, he was not uh, born of 
normal means. It was uh, conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. But he was 100% man and 100% God. So our confessional standards will say that he was truly man and truly God. Why is it important that he's, we've kind of talked about the truly man part, that he had to be able to keep perfectly what we weren't able to do as human beings. Yes. As a human being, what isn't assumed by, by him in his incarnation could never be redeemed. And so he had to have come in a true human nature in order to redeem us, body and soul. There is the also the fact that he was a true man and true God, 100% God, as Ryan has pointed out. And this is important because he had to be God in order to, to bear the weight of the sin of all humanity. A perfect man could die for one person, but only a God-man could die for the sins of the whole world. And why is it so important to distinguish that he was truly God, that he wasn't a creation, that he didn't become a God? So we maintain that he was part of the Godhead, that he's part of the triune God, not a created being. Why does that distinction matter? Well, if he's a created being, he's just another one of us. He, he doesn't have you know, the, the power and authority and, and so forth that comes with being God. And so uh, it, it's important, one, that you know, the scriptures teach this is who he is. Uh, he is not an ordinary man. He is truly man, he is, but he is also truly God. Oftentimes we refer to him as Jesus Christ. Is Christ his last name, or why do we add Christ to the name of Jesus? Christ is the Greek word essentially for Messiah or anointed one. In the Old Testament, it was the anointed one. And there were anointed offices that foreshadowed him coming. He was the anointed offices in the Old Testament were uh, prophet, priest, and king. And he fulfills those aspects of that anointing as the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And as the Messiah, he fulfills everything that the Old Testament had said about him, but he also is fulfilling what God sent him to do, and specifically what was he sent to do as the perfect prophet, priest, and king by God? He sent to save us from sin, death, and destruction. Save us from the wrath of God. Essentially, sent by God to save us from God. Second question: What did Jesus do? Well, we've already. I mean, he talked about we've. He's lived the perfect life, so that's that's an important aspect because his sacrifice wouldn't have meant anything if he wasn't innocent and perfect and sinless in every way. And then he laid down his life for his sheep, for his people, and then he was raised from the dead. So, I mean, he was obedient to the point of death. In the shedding of blood, and then God declare, declared him, you know, that he was victorious. I mentioned in a previous episode, like through the resurrection, and then, uh, but yeah, he came to live that perfect life, fulfilling all that was is required of us, and by faith through God's grace, we are given that obedience, and He pays the penalty then for our sins. Russ, going back to uh, him at being the prophet, priest, and king. The Heidelberg Catechism picks up on this in question and answer 31 when it says, why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? 
And the answer is because he's been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance, our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually intercedes for us before the Father, our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards and keeps us in the deliverance he has won for us. So that kind of further explains this idea of prophet, priest, and king and why these, why this anointing was so important, why he fulfilled it. Years ago, I read a book by Jerry Bridges called The Gospel for Real Life. And in that book, he has a chapter that deals with some of the work of Christ, and, and specifically he goes through how Jesus fulfills the Day of Atonement and really works through the two goats that are represented in the Day of Atonement. And I have found that so helpful in my own thought process when I think of Jesus Christ's work on the cross. So on the Day of Atonement, this is Leviticus 16, one goat is chosen that they they kill, and the blood is poured over the, the mercy seat. And the, the imagery there is that his blood is being shed for the sins of the people, and it becomes a covering. And the idea is the law was inside of the Ark of the Covenant. And so the blood is put over the cover of the Ark to say that instead of seeing us as those that have broken covenant, what God sees is the blood that has paid the, the price for that, that breaking of, of the covenant. And the symbolism is that that's what Jesus' shed blood did, that it propitiates, it exhausts, removes the wrath of God that was rightfully directed towards sinners, those that broke the law. But then there's a second goat, and on that goat, the high priest would confess all of the sins of the people, and then they would release that goat into mm-hmm. the wilderness. And the symbolism it was, it's actually one goat is propitiation, the exhausting of the wrath of God, and the second goat is an actual expiation. And it's the idea that that goat removes the sin. And so... The sense of what Jesus did on the cross is that he both not only paid for our sins, but he's forever removed the guilt and shame of that sin as well. And I have always found that to be a helpful imagery to try to wrap my mind around, well, what did Jesus truly accomplish as our high priest mm-hmm. that fulfills that aspect of the anointing? What did he accomplish on the cross? Right, and and taking our sins away, you know, this is the comfort we have that with our sins forgiven, with our sins being propitiated by Christ, what was punished in Christ will not be punished in us. If it was truly forgiven in Christ, it will be forgiven in us. And so God being just is not going to punish sin twice. He's going to punish it once. And either either Christ will bear that punishment or we will. If Christ bears it, I am free forever. I have the comfort in knowing that he is my Savior forever. This is really the truth of Romans chapter 3. It's at the end where he has established this whole idea that 
we're all guilty before God. And then in verse 21, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God puts forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in, in Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's theologically what J- Jonathan's mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. that in Jesus Christ, God can be just because in him, Jesus truly is bearing the guilt and penalty and shame of our sins. Mm-hmm. And that's what exhausts the wrath of God. His justice has been fulfilled. But it's also what allows him to, to justify us, declare us righteous, because we are in Christ. We are as if we had perfectly kept his law, and we are those that have had our sins completely removed from our record. We stand before God as innocent, not in ourselves, but because we're in Christ. When we talk about this, we're talking about the active and passive obedience of Christ. Passively, he he goes to the cross. Actively, he lived the life that we couldn't live. Well, you've been listening to The Gospel of Life. We'll see you next time.